Hi everyone, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of the Strong Towns movement in action. I'm Rachel Quedno, Program Director at Strong Towns. Today's guests are doing innovative agricultural work that is deeply rooted in history in their small town of San Elizario, Texas. David Cantu and Maya Sanchez are two local government leaders who have helped spearhead projects to encourage San Elizario residents to grow food for themselves and food to sell, all tailored to their unique desert environment. They're tapping into historical knowledge of what plants grow best in these conditions and hoping other desert dwellers can learn from this too. These efforts are particularly meaningful in a border town where almost half of the population lives below the poverty line. These are opportunities to grow food in backyards and gardens to feed one's family, and this program has also helped residents grow produce to sell to local restaurants and stores or turn into other food businesses. David Cantu is an alder person, and Maya Sanchez is the city administrator for San Elizario. Both are very active in their city in this agricultural initiative and also have their own gardens. I interviewed Mr. Cantu and Ms. Sanchez in 2020 for an article, which I'll make sure to link to. And as you'll hear in this interview since that time, they've helped more of the community be involved in growing food, connected these efforts with flood mitigation goals, and they've even had the chance to help people sell locally grown produce to neighboring cities as well. So I hope you enjoy this interview with David Cantu and Maya Sanchez. David Kentu and Maya Sanchez, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's good to have you both on the show today. Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here. Yes, thank you, Rachel, for, for having us on this show. So can you each start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in your respective leadership roles in your city? Um, Maya Sanchez, can we start with you? Sure. Uh, so I am the city administrator of the city of San Isario, and I have been in this position since 2018. However, along with Mr. Gantu, I was very involved in the incorporation of our city, which happened in 2013. So ever since the start, I have been involved. Um, full disclosure, I was actually the first mayor from 2014 until 2018. Um, and so that the audience is aware, our city did not ha- does not have any regulations against former council being involved in a staff position. So we were actually openly looking for a city administrator when I submitted my um, my resume and, and, and went through the full vetting process that everyone else went through. Got it. Yeah. And thank you for reminding me that this is a, a young city. I had forgotten that. That's really important detail about your community. David Cantu, can you tell us a little about yourself and how you ended up in your leadership role in San Elizario? Uh, yes, I, I think Maya pretty much has a lot of the background history on it. Well, when I started with the incorporation process, I had just gotten out of grad school and I was between jobs. So I had a little bit of time to get involved and I didn't realize where it would take me. Um, but it's been eight years, I guess, or nine years going on 10 Uh and it's been a learning process. I I went from an education background to being part of a city 
building a city from scratch, from the bottom up, and having all those learning curves. So um, I am a I am a longtime resident from the community, four generations back. So it, it was very meaningful, important for me to uh, be part of this community uh, coming back from grad school. And Mr. Gantu is being way too humble. He has mentioned the fact that he is an altar person and has been since the beginning. So he's been on city council since its inception. I don't consider myself a politician to start off with, but I, I, I am a public servant and I, and I do work hard and diligent to try to make improvements in the community. And working along alongside uh, Maya has really been helpful because with her knowledge and her communication skills has helped me to build up my own. And if you knew me 20 years ago, I wouldn't be doing something like this. I wouldn't be talking <laughs> at all to anybody. So this is very, uh, this has been a very good experience. And for our listeners who are not as familiar with San Elizario, Texas, can you describe the the town and the community? You know, what does it look like? Who lives there? Maybe Mr. Cantu, we could start with you. Well, our, our, our little city here uh, goes back to, I guess, when it was settled here in the 1500s that it became San Elizario. And it was under the direction of the Spanish government when they came into the New Americas. And the community has been here ever since. But there's there's always been a history of indigenous people living in the area. Um, and throughout the years, San Elizario has hold on to that that rich history that we have here and and it it's primarily a military history along with an agricultural history so um San Elisario is in in El Paso County and San Elisario was the first county seat before it went to El Paso um the where we have now the the, the historic district was actually a fort for the Spanish garrison and then that later moved on to Fort Bliss, that area, and it's just a, it's just a, a beautiful community. Uh, it's grown over the years. Uh, to some point, it's it's not as beautiful as it used to be due to development, but we still have a lot of uh, potential to bring back the agricultural and the life of the community as it was when I was growing up. I think I don't know. If I left anything else out, but I think I think Maya would agree with some of the um, things about this community. Now, I think you did a great job of of giving an intro to our community. And it's a pretty like small, tight knit um, place, right? I'm, I'm not sure the exact population, but it's it's a small community. Is that right? Yes, we actually just participated in our first census, so. As of the 2020 census, our city limits are about 9,200, 9,200. But it is comprised of a lot of families that have been here for generations, as well as our proximity to the border with Mexico. We have a lot of newer residents and, and some of the establishing families would still consider people who have been here 30 news re- 30 years relatively new, but obviously we still have an influx of, of new, um, new Americans or new residents from other countries that have chosen to, to make San Luis Adio home. Mm, right. 
So you started to talk about the agricultural history, and I know that um, you both have been involved with leading this urban agricultural program in San Elizario, which we featured in a Strong Towns article a few years ago, um, and I'm excited to hear an update. But for, for a little bit more background, you know, what inspired you all to start that program? What was the challenge that you saw people in your community facing that, that led you to kick off this program? That could be a question for either of you. Well, uh, for for me, it, it was pretty much the the fact that we were losing our 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 traditional uh, gardens, small gardens, and home to development, um, and and our, our big agricultural area had been changing over the years to to growing cotton and pecans, and I, I do remember growing up there used to be fields with sugarcane, watermelons, melons, squash, and, and over the years that changed because I, I think the bigger farmers were trying to get into a bigger commodity. Over the years, the generation of, of farmers has changed, so the younger generations did not want to get involved with it. And we started to lose a lot of agricultural land over the years. And, and when we became a city, one of the things that the community gave us as part of a, a community workshop and a, a comprehensive plan was to keep agricultural in the community. So we had to figure out a way how to do that on a small level and then in the future bring back the bigger farms that will grow food. Uh, so that, that was what I was kind of looking at and, and trying to help the, the local residents here get, get back into the roots of, of growing food. And what does this program look like? What have you all done in the past few years to help improve and increase agricultural work in the community? Well, to complement what Mr. Gunthu said, uh, another reason we were able to start this program is around 2017, we connected with some researchers who were doing scientific research in the Chihuahuan Desert. And we were able to develop this program with their help and specifically a pollinator ecologist by the name of Bashira Chowdhury. So what has been made aware to us, which we didn't know from a scientific standpoint or had a very layman's understanding of climate change and how our environment is changing, is that Areas that weren't necessarily considered desert before are becoming more and more hot with less and less water and higher levels of salt. So what we already have here in the desert, unfortunately due to climate change, is trending in other areas that haven't experienced this type of environment. So we were looking, rather than trying to, to stick with traditional agriculture or even small farms that might grow traditionally recognized grocery staple foods, we wanted to make sure that we were focusing on foods and, and ornamentals as well that were adapted to those conditions, dry, low water, high salinity toleration. And so that is how we started this program, um, because again, 
just because we're a desert doesn't mean we don't have the same level of biodiversity that these rich, you know, more water infused regions do where you see all the green and all the trees and you stick a seed in the ground and it just grows. We have that as well. It just happens to be different in deserts. And so the way we approached it is really from an economic development standpoint, um, our proximity to the border and just kind of the tradition of our um, community has unfortunately been one of a lower income, lower poverty. And so we saw it as an opportunity to achieve some of those goals that the comprehensive planning process identified, but at the same time, create these new um, avenues of, of economic growth that can be duplicated in, a, in other areas. And so even though urban ag is done across the country and across the world, um, what our approach is, is how do you do it so that it's suitable for the environment in which you live and can also be duplicated for not just people in our community to get involved in building businesses around ag, but can also be shared with other areas that are similar. So what are some of the practical ways that you've um, helped people in San Elizario, you know, start to learn to grow these types of desert produce and um, yeah, start to do those things uh, on their land? So since its inception in 2017, um, for the most part, we have hosted a community event called Be Real. So uh, the location of our city sits on the Camino Real de Tierra Adentro, which is a nationally recognized historic trail, which was the primary trading route and uh, how much of the Southwest was colonized. And so Be Real, it's, it, it's, it looks like Be Real, but it's, it's a play on the, uh, you know, the Camino Real. So that is our, one of the methods in which we are reintroducing the idea of urban ag and um, agricultural production. Because of course, as Mr. Gantu stated, um, you know, we got a lot of input that people wanted a, a more rural environment, but if you don't have the means to understand what that means for our area and how to get there, then people won't be actively participating in that. You know, it's one thing to, to actually, you know, own a horse and groom it and take care of it. And another thing to say, well, I want horses in my community because I enjoy sitting on my porch to watch all the other people who have horses actively participate. So um, it, we've been undertaking um, quite a bit of community outreach as we launch this program, but we also provide technical support through the science and data that we've been collecting through the grow seasons, because we're lucky to live in an environment where we can grow year round. So we constantly have uh, produce that is growing and we provide that technical support. And in many cases, a lot of materials and supplies we base, we don't use any municipal water or traditionally what's used here in agriculture is a canal system, an irrigation system of canals that flood irrigates. And so our programming doesn't use municipal water, nor does it use that additional irrigation water. So we're implementing um, rainwater harvesting and diversion to help, you know, when we do receive the rains in our monsoon season. And we help 
set up our participants with the technical training as well as setting these these um, spaces up for you know the highest success possible. And again, there's there's different approaches by our our community um, and our residents. Some want to just beautify their properties. Some want to only you know focus on a healthy food for their families, and some are interested in growing a business. And we have training opportunities for all three approaches. That's wonderful. And could you speak a little bit about the City in a Box program? And is that is that still going on? City in the Box is no longer still going on, but it, it was under a, a, an umbrella program called San Eli Fresh, which is still active. City in the Box was specifically targeted um, when the pandemic hit and even grocery stores were something that we weren't sure that we were able to access. And even here locally, some of the local chains or the local stores don't have the opportunity nor the means to provide things like curbside pickup. Um, we wanted to be able to, to provide an opportunity for families to create a small garden, literally in a box that could grow produce that was a faster turnaround rather than, you know, some of these longer um, crops like, you know, pumpkins wouldn't work for something like City in a Box. But it was more, you know, and it was used as an introduction. Of course, it wasn't it wasn't ever promised to be a complete diet, but to supplement and to, to take the opportunity to make people aware and, and give them the support to turn back towards either supplementing your food with your own locally produced food, or at least introducing them to the, to the idea that this can be done in our area, even if they don't actively grow a business out of it. Um, so it, it was intentionally meant for a time. However, the San Eli Fresh program continues and has evolved. And we have even now partnered with the County of El Paso um, for a space that is a demonstration garden. And we're actively going through a rehabilitation of an old adobe building, which is something that's very common in our area, um, to rehabilitate the building to be um, a processing kitchen as well, so that not only can people grow their food, but they'll have a means to safely process that food to create value-added goods. I know that that is such a need in, I mean, a lot of communities where people you know, want to make sauces or pickles or something, but you have to have all these regulations that you meet in order to, you know, have your uh, stuff be certified and be able to sell it. So that's really cool that you are setting up that space for people. Yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, there are a couple of nonprofits who have made their com commercial kitchen spaces available, but this is one that is actually going to be supported um, through a collaboration before between both the County of El Paso and the city of San Elisario. Mm. Um, what are some of the things that you all have learned throughout the years of this, this program happening? Um, how has it like responded to residents' needs or suggestions and kind of adapted to changing circumstances? Um, Mr. Cantu, maybe you could start with that one. Well, uh, some of the things that I've learned is that education is key. Um, 
when we when we try to talk to individuals and give them technical support, we want to make sure that we understand ourselves what we're telling them. Uh, that way, we don't mislead them or misguide them and encouraging them. So it, it's it is a process. Uh, even even myself in my own garden, I learned a lot from this program and things that I was doing wrong that traditionally would work years ago, but it, things changed over the years. So now it's 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 time to to get innovative. And sometimes uh, when you're doing rain harvesting or or just planting things that um, don't require as much water but still are edible. Really, I learned a lot from from some of the elders in the community who who kept telling me about plants that grow wild and they're good for us, but we we cut them down as weeds. So that was very interesting to go back to learning all that and relearning some of the traditional uh, plants to be able to implement those into the program. If if I could add to that, I think another item that we've really truly learned within the time that we've had this program is um, we are teaching people how to fail in a safe space. And so I'm reading a book right now that focuses on creating a small farm um, and, and kind of looking at the model of traditional farms and how many uncertainties go into even experienced farmers on a year-to-year basis. Most traditional farms run in the red, regardless of what you're growing. And so it's it's not a model that is the best um, for success, because if you're already starting in the red and then within one growing season, you have a crop fail, you just compound the debt that you have. And so when it comes to agriculture, you're going to fail in some regards, regardless what you could do everything right. You're going to have things that go wrong that may not allow a seed to make it to its full potential of producing a food out of that tiny little seed. So what we're doing is learning and, and, and to be honest with you across the country, a lot of community gardens or public efforts for introducing um, agriculture on an, any level, from a small garden all the way through a business, uh, you get a lot of people who are interested and a lot of people willing to to um, participate. But if you just face failure after failure, um, you get a lot of people who drop out at the same time. And so learning to understand that you're going to have to deal with a level of failure, but again, creating those spaces that would make it a more safe environment to fail so that you're not, and and I, I apologize for the pun, but putting all your eggs in one basket. So that I think is what I, one of the biggest things that I've learned in, in, in putting this program together and, you know, being a participant and wanting to, you know, cause I feel like me as a leader of this, this program, I want to lead by example. Now, the difference between what I do and what our participants do is I'm doing everything on my own dime. I don't want to I don't want to take resources away from somebody else um, could have the opportunity, but I do my best to mimic and to use our programming as an example of what I'm doing in my own personal spaces. 
So I think that over the course of the the program, that's one of the biggest things that I've learned. Wonderful. What results are you guys most proud of in this process that's been going on for several years now? I'm especially curious, you mentioned the entrepreneurship opportunities and the hope that some people uh, in San Rosario would take this and kind of turn it into food businesses. Um, has that happened? What are, yeah, what are some of the biggest successes? Um, Mr. Cantu, maybe you could start. Well, I I see some of the, one of the biggest success is that we do have a couple of uh, families who actually have started their own business. And that was very, very interesting because out of all the people we had, I was kind of wondering how many of these individuals would really stick to it. And so far, there's a couple of families that are doing that. Um, one of them was actually able to uh, acquire a grant to help grow his business. And it seems to be on a good start. Um, and the other thing is is that the, the community engagement, as far as with the school districts, um, I, I'm starting to see that the school districts are now starting to get interested in um, in agricultural and, and community gardens. Uh, I, I had a conversation with a high school teacher recently who said they were going to try to do something at the high school. So I, it's a slow process, but I, I am seeing that people are starting to get engaged and starting to, to see that there is potential. I don't know if Maya has any other ones. I, I do, actually. Some of the successes that I've seen is that, you know, we are actively seeing produce that's either grown at our demonstration gardens or through um, micro businesses that have started up that are regular, regularly seeing their product being used in local restaurants here. And only just in local restaurants, but like, for example, um, some of the local options for food, whether it's prepared food or groceries, are kind of combined into one space. We have one grocery store, as an example, um, that sells, it's called Mendoza's Grocery, and people can go there and pick up burritos and, and all sorts of prepared foods, but they also are like a corner, corner store as well. Mendoza's is is utilizing produce that is being produced through this program, both in their prepared dishes and then as it's seasonally available for sale. And that was part of the San Eli Fresh program during the pandemic. People were able to utilize coupons to get things like cilantro for fifty cents a, a, a you know a little bundle. Um, so they're able to make this uh, this available in both ways. Now, as Mr. Conti mentioned, there's there's a local grant that the County of El Paso puts out every year for retail spaces of um, healthy food offering. And so that's, you know, there's one thing to provide the retail space, but if you're not growing the produce to put into those retail spaces, there's kind of a little disconnect. However, because of our programming, it has been in partnership and working hand in hand. So places like Mendoza's could expand their freezer and cooling spaces through the grant opportunity that could then house some of the product that is being grown through the Sanali, the Sanali Fresh program through our Urban Ag project. So um, 
we're seeing that a lot. And, and now with this upcoming season, we're looking to expand the local um, offering outside of the city limits. And there are some restaurants that are on the mission trail, that, that historic trail that I mentioned, that have recently popped up that really focus on locally produced food. And we are we have the intention of making some of the produce grown in this season available to them as well. So it's now starting to expand into the local, our, our neighbors, our neighboring cities. Oh, very cool. What are you all um, excited about for the future of this urban ag program? Um, what's coming up later this year or, you know, in the coming months? Miss um, Sanchez, what, what are you looking forward to? Well, again, I think um, the, the, Ability to have an excess so that we're not just hoarding it within our city, but being able to offer it to the other businesses in surrounding communities. Um, this season, we're gonna we we focus uh, a lot of our growing on on a variety of of produce called quelites. Um, so verdolagas, which a lot of people know is purslane, and it, it's become more aware that, yes, this weed can also be edible. We've spent a few seasons fine-tuning and and really being able to, to um, produce verdolagas of really high quality that are, that's going to be made available um, to others this year. And we had a little bit of an excess last year, and that, that's what – allowed us to plan for, okay, when we have that excess this year, because we know it's going to happen, how is that going to be um, utilized so that it doesn't go to waste? Um, So I think for me, that's what I'm looking forward to. In addition to the future opportunities, because we're focusing on the urban ag work right now. But one of the things that is also being addressed through this program is flood mitigation. So our area, even though we're in a desert, we receive quite a bit of flooding. So we have finally been able to partner with the county of El Paso, and now we're planning to address some of that flood mitigation so that the areas that used to flood, we are diverting the water to be used in our urban ag spaces that are growing in this program. Well, that's just kind of a, a side benefit that I'm really looking forward to. In fact, we're having our first meeting on it coming up in the next couple of weeks. So um, it's it's something that has been a chronic issue for our community. We have some very old historic buildings that are made of adobe, um, which at the end of the day is mud mixed in with some material, you know, raw materials. And as as you know, water and 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 dirt, it, it it will make these buildings crumble faster than anything else. So being able to address this chronic problem that has persisted for years is really a light at the end of the tunnel as far as preservation and rehabilitation of some of our historic assets as well. That's a really interesting facet of this work, um, kind of mitigating climate concerns and turning that into something valuable using that water for food. That's amazing. So to close this out here, what advice would each of you offer for someone that's listening that is interested in maybe starting some sort of agriculture program uh, in their community? Uh, Mr. Cantu, can we start with you? I, I guess the, one of the biggest advice would be to uh, 
to reach out to individuals that are doing it already. Uh, try to get involved with uh, programs that exist, especially if if your community has a food hub or anything like that requires them to to purchase or to gather food to give away during crisis times. Uh, I know that a lot of communities are starting up with uh, CSAs, but you want to reach out to those individuals that have done it before and then try to bring it into your community and make it work according to your environment, your own environment. I'd say don't, don't try to do exactly what everybody else is doing, but make it your own, make it work in your community. Uh, As far as as that is is some of the advice I can give. And uh, if you're, if you're doing, Personal gardening is just don't give up and continue to to work at it. I guess um, I recently had had to uh, step away from the program for a little bit, and I had some personal things to take care of. But I, I'm starting to get back into uh, some of the components that I can bring into this program, as far as the the education and uh, the resources. Um, or uh, I'm, I'm getting a lot of calls from different partners with the USDA and um, FEMA and a lot of people who are trying to find different ways to, to help communities um, to take care of some of these issues. I want to incorporate those into the ag program. So I, I, I see myself getting back into it in the future uh, with, with innovative ideas for the, for the program. And Ms. Sanchez, what advice would you give for somebody that might be interested in starting something like this in their town? I highly recommend that if you are not active in your local government, um, you don't have to get a job or even run for office. But what you can do is open up those conversations with your local leaders If they don't have a program in place that can help with urban agriculture or um, this type of work that would help with larger issues like climate change, then get with your local leaders and see what needs to happen so that these programs can get started. Because a big bulk of the success of this work is policy. Local entities can either make it easier or harder for work like this to get done. And so it's really important that as a resident of your community, if if these types of programs are not in place, you can definitely get in on the ground floor in making it happen in your own community. And I also understand that many out there who might be listening already have things even well above what our city has put in place. Um, I think ours is just, you know, um, a little bit unique in the sense that, um, you know, we're a desert community and you don't think of deserts as places of agriculture production. Um, But besides that, there, you know, again, and, and, and again, there are our Southwest communities who, who have programs like this in place, but I think it's very important to involve your leaders and find a champion in your, um, you know, city leadership, your county leadership that would help in getting these programs in place. Yeah, that's great advice. And clearly you two are, are some of those champions in your city. Oh, very important. You. Well, thank you so much, David Cantu and Maya Sanchez for coming on the show. And I'll make sure to share links um, for our listeners to some of the different programs that you referenced so they can learn more. 
Um, but thank you so much for, for being on. It was great to talk with both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to shout out that um, David Cantu is a Strong Tales member. He has been for several years, and we just really appreciate his support. And uh, thanks to all of our members out there who are doing great things like Mr. Cantu is. Um, we always love to hear your stories and feature them. And if you're a fan of Strong Towns members and you want to support their efforts, we are hiring currently for a new position. We're calling the Member Advocate. This is someone who is going to really make connections and build relationships with our members, who's going to advocate for them, um, get their stories in our stream, and um, you know, bring in new members as well. So if that interests you, applications are due on May 22nd. So you have a little bit of time, but definitely head to strongtowns.org employment to learn more about the position and our hiring process since it's a little bit unique. Really encourage you to apply if that's of interest to you or share it with somebody that you think might be interested. All right, that is the show for today. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.